Father, thank you so much for this day you've granted to us. It's a gorgeous Sunday. We thank you for the beauty of the sunrise and beauty of the day. And I pray that you teach us now as we study this topic, give us understanding. And thank you for this opportunity to be in your word in Christ's name. Amen. Um, What we're starting today is the last section of the uh, class or our sessions on spiritual warfare. And this is going to pull it all together and understand we're probably going to repeat a few of the things that we've already been sort of talking about all the way along because of the questioning. Um, But don't worry about that. This hopefully will wrap everything together. It's going to take us probably about two or three weeks to do this. Um, Now remember, next week we don't have class because of Easter. Then we have class. And then we don't have class because of missions conference. And then we have class. We don't have this topic, but we have class. So show up. We'll have a missionary. And uh, and then we'll finish up, uh, I think, first Sunday in May or something like that as we'll be done. And then we're going to start uh, the doctrine of man and sin. And uh, we'll talk about where man came from, the doctrine of sin, what it is and how it affects us. So that's coming up. Anyways, today we're going to start the topic of spiritual warfare to hopefully pull this all together. And uh, what this is, is this is really a class I did a few years ago on this whole topic when it was really starting to hit um, and become pretty much in vogue in Christianity. And uh, the way I researched this, I went out and I got a whole bunch of books from these guys and read them all. So uh, I got a whole, I got several books at home that I went through from all the then experts on spiritual warfare. And uh, nothing much has changed in the last few years. It's pretty much the same stuff that you hear. So um, I'm going to be doing, having a lot of quotes in here. You'll see them in your notes there. Um, a lot of quotes from some of these guys and, and, well, men and women that teach on this topic. So that's what we're going to look at here and where we're going to be headed in the, in the next three weeks of our classes here. Is we're going to be looking at what is being said today. And we're just going to take a survey of what you hear out there, all the noise that you hear out there in Christian TV and radio and in books and print and things like that. If you go down to the Zondervan, actually not the Zondervan bookstore anymore, it's a Christian family bookstore. They got a whole section of spiritual warfare stuff there that you can look at. Um, and we're just going to take a survey of some of the things that are being said. We're going to look at what the Bible teaches about this topic and we're going to have specific verses um, and go through what the Bible says about Satan and what he does and how he operates we're going to look at Revelation 12. We're going to actually take the chapter of Revelation 12 and do a study on that chapter and look at spiritual warfare through the ages. Because that's really the best picture of how this all operates. Um, and then we're going to do a little section on Satan in the church. How does Satan operate in the church? What does he do to get us off track? Um, that'll be an interesting little topic. Um, we'll look at excesses of the spiritual warfare movement and then talk about how you stand against Satan by putting on the spiritual armor of God. And that will be Ephesians 6. So we'll be working our way through that. So let's ask the question of what is being said today. What do you, what, when, you, when you do a survey of everything that's being said on spiritual warfare, what, what comes to the top? What are the major things that are being said out there? And one major thing that you see in a lot of these so-called experts on spiritual warfare is they say Satan is the major cause of all physical disease and the lack of blessings for believers. There are some out there who say basically every disease you get or every disease people get is due to a de- demon. There's a demon behind it. All right? um, especially if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian and you get sick, if you get the, the um, flu, you've got the demon of the influenza on you. If you get a cold, you've got the demon of the cold. And there's a demon of post-nasal drip even out there. And 
there's a demon behind every disease that you have. All right. Um, in fact, uh, there's a couple out there. The Hunters, Charles and Francis Hunter, um, are so-called experts in this whole field, and they go out and they they speak to different uh, groups. They have their whole ministry is involved with the whole concept of the spiritual warfare stuff. And uh, they say this. This is a quote from um, from Bibliotheca Sacra. Bibliotheca Sacra is the journal from the Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, they were quoting Charles and Francis Hunter. And this is what the Hunters wrote. When a doctor says there's no cure, our spiritual intent is to pick up the fact that it is a spirit. So if you have some disease and the doctor says, you know, there's no cure for that. Okay, I've got a demon. I've got a demon of cancer, a demon of heart disease, a demon of arteriosclerosis, a demon of whatever. Um, they conclu- concluded that all incurable diseases are caused by evil spirits. Demons inhabit not only people, but also harm homes, cars, and other mechanical devices, which explains why my car doesn't start once in a while. It's got a demon in it. This, yeah, snowblower. That's what happened to me in the winter. A demon infested my snowblower and blew it up. And I had to get an exercise down at Grafton Mower Service. Um, this produces great consternation for the believer who wants to experience blessings promised to him. Um, I'm not making this up. This is what they believe. I mean, they believe that, you know, as a Christian, if your car doesn't start, there's probably a demon behind it. If your appliance blows up at your house, it may be a demon that caused your dishwasher to blow up or whatever. Or if you're sick, um, there's definitely a demon behind it. If you've got a disease, if you don't feel well, there's a demon behind that. There's a demon behind all physical diseases. And they also say that if you're not experiencing the fullness of life as a Christian, if you don't have, you know, all the goodies and all that kind of stuff, you've got a demon behind you. There's a demon that's preventing you from having everything God wants you to have. All right? Now, the problem with this is what does this do as far as your spiritual life? What does it do? Yeah, you're not responsible for anything. I mean, if you're sick, it's not your fault. Um, if you have a problem, it's not your fault. Nothing is your fault. All right? And what else is it? What else does it not understand? This view. No, yeah, scripture. I like that. That's right. They don't understand scripture. Um, but what kind of world do we live in? Fallen, right? So what happens in a fallen world? Fallen things, right? <laughs> um, in a fallen world, fallen things happen. People get sick. Do you know that? And here's the thing. And, and when you look at uh, the, the, the basic theory behind this, that you know every disease a Christian gets is a is caused by a demon. You realize that all of you in here someday, if the Lord tarries, are going to die of a physical disease, right? Either old age or something, or something associated with old age. So if God wants everybody healthy, theoretically, what should you never do? Die, right? You should never die. Of course, we know that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't teach that every disease is caused by demons. Now, we're going to look later on. Can Satan cause disease? He can. All right. Job is an example. The woman bent double is an example. Satan can do that. But just because somebody has a disease does not mean Satan is behind it. In fact, Satan is probably behind 0.0001% of all diseases, if that. All right. Where do, you, where do diseases come from? Diseases come from living in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's under the curse, right? So sicknesses come, diseases come, plagues come. 
you know, when you get a cold, hey, guess what? You're, that, that's your turn to get a cold. <laughs> it's your turn to get the flu or whatever. Now, it's not that there's a demon out to, to terrorize you. So don't let anybody tell you that if you have a disease or you, you have something wrong with you that there's a demon. Because what else does this do to somebody who's suffering from a disease? How, how do they feel when you... Huh? It destroys your faith. I mean, what's wrong with me? Why, why is it that I have this particular ailment? Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, you remember her, who's uh, crippled. She's had many people write her letters just scolding her for her lack of faith. If she had the faith, she'd get out of her wheelchair and walk. And how bad of a testimony she is to the cause of Christ because she's not walking. And it's like, these people have no concept. None. See, this life is, is just a blip on, your, on the radar. This is, just, this is a big nothing compared to eternity. And God has a plan for all of us. And quite honestly, if Johnny Erickson Todd had never become paralyzed, would you even know who she was? Probably not. No. See, God, and that's, that's the beauty of the Christian faith, right? Romans 8.28. No matter what catastrophe happens to you, what can God do with it? Make it for good. And in fact, in Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians 1, we're told that we are comforted with the comfort that we get from God when we are comforted by Him, right? So when you go through a valley and then you see someone else go through that same valley, what can you do if you've been through it? Comfort them. That's part of Christian life. That's part of body life. All right. So this is a gross misunderstanding here of what um, disease is all about. It is, there is not a demon behind every disease. There's not a demon behind all the cancers in the world or anything like that. There's, it's just not there. We're also told, and this has been popularized quite a bit, that the world is under the control of territorial spirits. And in fact, the way to gain victory is to find out their name and gain power over them. There's, there's a, you've got to understand that in, in the spiritual warfare movement, the idea is if you know the name of a demon, that gives you some kind of power over them. Now, where does that come from? Put it, put it to, where does that not come from? It does not come from the Bible. Where does it come from? Satan. It's, it's witchcraft. It's the, old, it's the old voodoo. It's the old witchcraft kind of stuff. And it's also his attempt to get us to focus on him. Right. We want to focus on trying to figure out who's the demon in charge of Illyria. What's the name of the demon in charge of Illyria? Because if we get his name, we can claim victory over him. And so we spend all of our energy, like you said, all of our energy and time trying to figure out who it is than doing what we're supposed to be doing. There's nothing in Scripture, folks. There is nothing in Scripture that says that we have to find out who the name is of individual demons to gain victory over them. That, that goes back to mysticism. That goes back to voodoo. That goes back to witchcraft. That's nothing, there's nothing in the Bible that has that. Now, theoretically, do demons have names? Sure. Well, we don't know what they are. We, we know the names of three, de- three angels in the Bible, right? Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. That's it. That's the, that's the extent of our names. There's nothing that says that. Um, Dean Sherman, who wrote a book on this, says, It is not possible to successfully fight these demons unless one knows of their existence and names. In other words, we will never be successful in our testimony in Illyria unless we find out who the demon is and what his name is. That's a good question. Buy his book. Yeah, buy, buy his book and he'll, you know, he'll help you. <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
it, it, see, here's, here's the thing. It goes, back, it goes back to mysticism. How would you ever find the name of a demon unless God told you? But see, they got revelations from God, too, that they get this kind of stuff. And, you know, or dreams or something like that. Folks, when you get on that ground, it's very thin and you're going to fall through very quickly. It's a mess. Don't go down that path. Yeah. Ezekiel 28 and, da- and Daniel. They, they, yeah, Daniel. They get on Daniel 10. And, you know, now let's, let's look at the other side. Is Satan organized? Sure he is. He's organized. Is it possible that he has demonic forces working in our town? Sure. In our country, in our state. But the idea of finding out who they are to gain victory over them is nothing... It's not found in the Scripture. There's no, there's no place in Scripture where it said, we've got to find out what their name is. In fact, here's the question. In Daniel 10, that whole um, interaction between Daniel and Gabriel when Gabriel said I was held up by the prince of Persia. Who got the victory over the prince of Persia? Michael did. And how did he get it? Because God sent him. Did Daniel know what was going on? In fact, Daniel didn't know what was going on until after everything was all done. Yeah, he didn't pray God give Gabriel victory over the prince of Persia or something like that. There's no, there no indication he had any idea. In fact, quite honestly, if Gabriel hadn't told him why he was late, would Daniel have known why he was late? No, he would have never known that. So on one hand, we have to, you know, being biblical scholars, we have to admit, yes, Satan is organized. Yes, he has an organizational structure in place, but we don't know what it is like. We don't know the names, and there's nothing in the Bible that says, I've got to determine who the names of these demons are to gain victory over them. It, it's not there, folks. It's, it's just not there. It, it, it's fiction. Peretti's books are fiction. All right? They're not theological fact. They're fiction. And uh, there's a lot of um, noise out there and a lot of effort being expended to determine the names of individual demons. I, in fact, I read on the Internet that um, one... one one of these guys said that he's figured out the name of the demon that's ensnared America is the demon of greed. I'm not making that up. He actually said that. He has a whole big spiel on that. There's also a verse that says, Be sent up to what is evil and rise to what is good. Right. There's no reason for us to look into evil things and try to figure out. Yeah, and that's the problem. We, we, the, the, the danger in this is that we, we focus on Satan and we're trying to figure out what Satan is up to when we don't have the ability to figure it out in the first place. All right? There's, there's no techniques to figure out what Satan is up to. I mean, generally we know what he is up to. But how specifically he works every day, and, and that, we don't know that. We don't have insight into that. We have no way to have insight into that. So to try and expend your energy trying to find out that which you cannot find out is a waste of energy. You need to focus on what you do know, what you can do. And that's what we need to focus on. Let God worry about what Satan is up to out there. But, but, so there's an element of truth to this. There's an element of truth in that Satan is organized. But the problem is, the, the error is we don't know what he is up to. And the concept that we have to find out the name of these demons in order to gain victory over them, that goes back to voodoo and witchcraft. That, that is nothing but mysticism. Pagan mysticism. 
Because that's what the pagans taught. The pagans taught if you found out the name of these demons or names of these spirits, that that gives you some kind of power over them. There's nothing in the Bible that says that at all. Quite, and here's, here, I'll tell you how this works. You know, you want proof of this. Do we know the name of Satan? Does that give us any power over him? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, and then here's a, here's a somewhat long quote. This, is, this appeared in Los Angeles. Um, I think the L.A. paper there. Um, this was written, let's see, who, were, who wrote this? Uh, John Dart wrote this um, back in 1990. He said, Under the militant banner of spiritual warfare, growing numbers of evangelical and charismatic Christian leaders are preparing broad assaults on what they call the cosmic powers of darkness. Fascinated with the notion that Satan commands a hierarchy of territorial demons, some mission agencies and big church pastors, pastors are devising strategies for breaking the strongholds of these evil spirits alleged to be controlling cities and countries. Some proponents in the fledgling movement have already maintained that focused prayer meetings have ended the curse of the Bermuda Triangle. I'm not making this up. Somebody re- led to the 1987 downfall in Oregon of the free love guru Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who was reincarnated as a toad later on. That's a joke. And for the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, which produced a two-week drop in the crime rate, for, they got, that's the problem with traffic. They got the demons behind the clogged freeways. This is not the cinematic storyline for a religious sequel to Ghostbusters 2, yet the developing scenario does have a fictional influence. Interest in spiritual warfare has been heightened by two best-selling novels in Christian bookstores, This Present Darkness, by Frank Peretti, describes religious fight against territorial spirits mobilized to dominate a small town. A second Peretti novel has similar premise. Fuller Seminary Professor C. Peter Wagner, anytime you see C. Peter Wagner, run was written extensively on this subject, led a summit meeting on cosmic level spiritual warfare Monday in Pasadena with two dozen men and women, including a Texas couple heading a group called the Generals of Intercession and an Oregon man who conducts spiritual warfare boot camps. So these, you know, there's these Christian ministries come out. One of them, they actually come in in military fatigues with their boots on. They're going to show you how to, how to go to a spiritual warfare boot camp and learn how to fight demons and Satan and all of this kind of stuff. Um, that's the wackiness that's out there. I'm not making this stuff up. People believe this. All right? And, you know, just a, a thing on Peretti here, he wrote a fictional novel. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading fiction. The problem is when fiction becomes fact. All right? And, unfortunately, many Christians were not able to understand that this was really fiction. They took it as fact. So they have all of these movements that are basically spawned by this concept of territorial demons and spirits and everything else. Yeah. What do you think of Dead Sheep? He scares me. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dutch Sheets. I, the thing I know about Dutch Sheets is he wrote a... a um, and I got the email, I guess it was. He wrote a, like an email after the election and basically said it was, that it was not God's will that Obama win. And that tells me right there the guy has no concept of what God's will is or isn't. Because it was not God's will for him to win, he wouldn't have won, right? 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 I mean, who's sovereign in this world? God or the American electorate? God is, all right? So, you know, and, and then he went on from there talking about how God's going to judge the church. And, and Look, I, I don't buy into that, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't buy into that concept that God lost an election. 
I remember when Clinton went and won back in, what is it, 90, was it 92? And I went out to my car and there was a little sheet somebody put on it saying God lost the election. And it's like, how does God lose an election? I didn't know he was up for office. You know, God doesn't lose elections. And, and I understand it, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic about it, but, but God does not lose elections. God is in charge of this world and, and God puts the people in charge who should be there. And we may not like it, but what are we to do as Christians? We're to pray for our leaders. We are to submit to them as unto the Lord. And by the way, when Paul and Peter wrote that, Nero was the guy in charge. And how many of you would like to be under Nero's reign? All right, none of us would. Um, it, when you start saying that it was God's will that it was not God's will that Obama won the election, now you're getting on to how do you know that? Do you have insight from God? Has He given you some revelation on that? And if it wasn't God's will for him to win, why did he win? Because God is sovereign. I, I think you're, you're overstating it. Hopefully I'm not stepping on too many toes here. What do you think of him? Yeah. And that's part of the problem. Some of, some of the things, and again, I don't know much more about him other than this email that he sent. So I've not read his books. I would have to read his books to give you a full, you know, what do I think about him. I just read this one email. When I was reading this email, I said, this, this man apparently does not understand the sovereignty of God. And, uh, and, and one, of the things that, one of the things that disturbs me a little bit is that there's a, there's a contingent of Christianity out there, and it sounded like he was a little bit buying into that. There's a contingent of Christianity that's just waiting for God to judge people. You know, they're just waiting for God to lower the boom, and they're just, they can't wait for God to, to judge people. What, do I, what I mean by that is, um, you know, I often listen to Larry Burkett, you know, and there was a part of him that said, you know, it's almost like it was coming to you, he says, I just can't wait for God to destroy economically America and judge us. It's like, who wants God to judge people? I don't want God to judge people, right? I mean, will God judge people? Sure he will, but I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that. You know, it's not like I want God to come in and judge people. And, and that's the bittersweetness of the Lord's return, right? There's a sense in which I want the Lord to come back and vindicate His name, but then on the other hand, if He comes back, a lot of people I know are going to be on the short end of the deal, and I don't want that. So, although I want it, I don't want it. Am I making any sense? You know, and, and, and there's an undercurrent here of, of, of you know, some kind of the, the hyper-fundamental circles where, you know, well, God's going to come, He's going to judge America, and He's going to destroy the country. You know, it's like, maybe He will, but why do you want that? You know, what... Wh- what, what, why, what, what is it about that that, that appeals to you? He hinted at, well, God's going to now judge us because we elected Obama. God's going to judge America. And, he's going to, and, and he was going on some about the, you know, the economic kind of things. Well, this is God's judgment on America. And there's a lot of people are saying, well, you know, our economic problem now is God's judgment on America. How do you know that? How do we know that? We don't, right? Economies go up, they go down. In fact, the whole world is sort of hitting it right now, right? But, but the, the difficulty is we, we, we see catastrophes and we immediately think, well, God's judging us. It's like what uh, um, Falwell, who said after the Trent Towers were hit, you know, well, God's judging us because of our homosexuality. Well, that's a stupid statement to make. 
How do you know that, Jerry? Did, did the Holy Spirit show up to you and tell you that's why it happened? No, you don't know that. I don't know that. Pat Robertson said that too, right? God's judging. In fact, they said, well, God judged uh, New Orleans because of its, uh, you know, all of its debauchery down there and all that. And that's why Katrina hit. How do you know that? Catastrophes happen all over the world, right? How do you know? Now, at a 10,000-foot at a level, is that part of God's judgment? Natural disasters. Well, yeah, we live in a fallen world, right? So God can... God, but how do you know what God is doing in any particular situation? You don't. You don't. Do you see where I'm trying to get at there, hopefully? Yeah. Yeah. But um but there is a balance there somewhere because we know that when, you know, there's a whole balance, but that when we come under God as as his believers for our country, we know that as our country turns away and chooses leaders that approve of all of these things, abortion and all of the issues that we have going on now and homosexuality and they lift that up and our laws are changing now and mm-hmm. and there's and favoring Well, the world's going to get worse and worse. What do we expect, right? What do you expect? It's going to get worse and worse. And kind of along the same lines as her, not every leadership, I don't believe, is placed there because God wants them there. They're placed there because of our fallen world. Um, that have taken advantage of their place in yeah. life. I would disagree with that in the sense that it says in, or Nebuchadnezzar basically says, God puts up whom he puts up and he puts down whom he puts down and he raises over men, even the basis of men. You know, um, God allows, and when we talk about God's will and providence, God allows leaders... To, is it God's will that Antichrist come to power? Yeah. Sure it is. Now, God does not make Antichrist come to power, right? But God allows it because it's going to serve his eternal purpose. Did God make Hitler come to power? No. He allowed him to come to power. And that's the mystery there. So God puts up whom he puts up and he puts down whom he will. What does the word will mean? Well, it depends on what you mean, well, will. The will of God. When you talk about the will of God, you talk about you know several aspects of it. God's perfect will is what he wants to happen, his, de- his desire. But God has a permissive will. He allows things to happen to serve his eternal purposes. He can do that. He's God. He doesn't make things happen. He doesn't force people to do evil things. But he allows those evil things to happen to serve his eternal purpose. He allows sin to run its course. He allows that. He doesn't force it to happen. He allows it to happen. That's one of the... We talked about that back in, um, you know, the Holy Spirit and the will of God. Right. And that's kind of what I was trying to say. You know, leadership, it's not who you would... That person that's going to function and do wrong 
it's not who he would really want in that position, but he allows him to come and cause those things to yeah. happen. Yeah. But I don't think it's like his will for that to happen. It's his will for that to happen in the sense that he could override it if he wanted to. Do you, understand, you see how that works? No, I don't think he could. He still have free will. Well, it depends on what you mean. Yeah, we're going to argue free will because, yeah, we're going to argue. Yeah, Steve's already laughing on that one. We have free will, but not a totally free will because our will is bounded by our nature, by what we are. What is the definition of will? I still haven't heard it. You haven't given me a definition, but you keep using the word. Okay, will in what sense? The will of God? That's the one that you're using. God's will, God's will is God has a sovereign plan and purpose. That is, that is his will. That's what's going to happen. He'll, now, there are several aspects of how that happens. There's God's active will in which he causes certain events to happen. And then there is a will of God in which he does not interfere and allows the natural course of things to take their place. He allows things to run their course. And that's, you know, like Hitler. Did God cause Hitler to rise to power? No, God did not cause it, but God allowed that to happen. So by not interfering, God allowed that to happen. It's... Yeah. I know where I'm coming from. Yeah. Maybe when you use the word will, you say which one you're using. Sorry, you, sort of, you sort of mean both of them there. Um, no, I didn't say he was. I didn't say he was stupid. I said. He allowed it to happen. So, and see, the conundrum you get into is you say, well, if God's all-powerful and he allows something to happen, then that has to be part of his will because he could have prevented it if he wanted to. And judgment the same way. Yeah. Historically, the people that say, well, we're being judged because of that, if you, the sense to read the whole Bible and over and over and over when people did wrong, they were judged for doing that. Generally, yes. I mean, at the 20,000-foot level is well, all of... Well, say specifically this particular right. one, I agree. Yeah, that's the problem. The problem is when you say, well, this happened because of this, unless you've got revelation from God, you don't know that. Generally, is God judging the world because of sin? The catastrophes, the evil that happens, is that because of our sin? Sure. It's because we live in a fallen world. We have a bunch of fallen people that we deal with. That guy that went in and shot 13 people, you know, we live in a fallen world. And, you know, those things happen. Um, and that's part of God's judgment. In fact, on Romans 1, it says God's wrath is continually being revealed against the wickedness and ungodliness of man. Diane. Where Satan is, it has to be a God's permissive will. Where Satan, it has to be a lot of what people into play and the power. You see that all through history. Where, you know, we study anti-Jewish, 
know, Hitler, there's all kinds of um, types of antichrists all throughout history mm-hmm. where, you know, that's not got perfect will for us to be ruled by some type of an antichrist for any of those people throughout any of those times, but that's what God's word said that someday an antichrist is going to show up. Mm-hmm. don't know you know we don't know how the we know generally how the end game is going to play out right but we don't know all the individual names of the people that are going to take the roles on yeah i mean how many books have been written on who the antichrist was you got henry kissinger then somebody wrote about clinton and somebody wrote about this guy and that guy and the other guy and we don't know who it is until it happens we won't know And and he he lets us in basically on the idea that, look, trust me on this. I know what I'm doing. I'm in charge. And we have to trust him. We don't understand. And and that's the difficulty. Could could, uh, the Twin Towers have been because of some evil? Well, yeah, it could have. But then maybe we live in a fallen world where that stuff happens. What What about the earthquake, the tsunami that wiped out, you know, thousands of people over in the Indian Ocean? I mean, we live in a world of natural disasters, earthquakes, floods, things happen. Um, that's part of the fallenness that we live in. And God's judgment is revealed against wickedness and sin on a constant level through floods, through natural disasters. And once in a while, God reaches in and causes something to happen, doesn't he? Sure he can. But we don't know when he does and when he doesn't necessarily. And we've got to be careful. Right. Yeah, and, and it's his control in the sense that one, he actively does it, or two, that he allows it to happen. You see, there's some. Oh, yeah, Dave. Distresses me. No. I mean, in this country, though, in many ways, we have an opportunity to take the government, like the leaders, and people can't compartmentalize that. I think it, that a lot of people let that go over because what happens affects their spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And God only really has one thing. Mm-hmm. 
not all, you know, it wasn't perfect, but some of the, you know, I consider dirty jokes. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, people that I respect swear, you know, their mind isn't where it should be. And maybe their policies are good policies. But what's that tell me about the people in the leadership? I can't say that. No. And I, I think when we try and decide, well, this is good and this is a bad one, and, you know, we just do our best job and when we mm-hmm. know this, yeah, I think you're hitting a, a point, you know, a very important point. Um, whoever is president, whoever that is, will not alter the kingdom plan one bit. All right? It will not alter the eternal purposes of God one bit. So we don't need to get worked up over that. What we need to do is what does the Bible tell us to do regarding our leaders? What does it tell us to do? It tells us we are to pray for our leaders. So all of us in here should be praying for Obama. We should be praying for him. We should be praying that God would save him. I don't think he's a Christian, personally. So let's pray that God would save him. Let's pray that God would give him leadership. And let's pray that God would give him wisdom to lead our nation. And Is he going to do everything we want him to do? No. Did, did Nebuchadnezzar do everything Daniel wanted him to do? No. It's, we were just studying... Joseph, the life of Joseph. And you look at Joseph and Daniel, both of those guys served pagan leaders who were pagan, by the way. All right? Yet, what do we know about their life and their, their um, attitude towards their leaders? They were exemplary. Right? Nebuchadnezzar was a bad guy. All right? He was an absolute dictator monarch. He could kill you if he wanted to and there was no recourse. And yet, Daniel was such a testimony and such a good um, servant to him that Nebuchadnezzar had great respect for Daniel. Almost, And I believe this, I believe God used that to bring him to faith. I believe Nebuchadnezzar will be in heaven because of that. When you look at Pharaoh and Joseph, Pharaoh had so much faith in Joseph that he said, look, I'm not going to worry about how to run the country. You take care of that. That's basically how he responded. And... Pharaoh's a pagan, right? And yet, Joseph served him and honored him. We need to do the same thing for our leaders, folks. We need to act the same way. We don't need to become a pain and say, you know, I'm praying that God would judge him and God would do this and God... Don't go down that path. What does the Bible tell us to do? It says, pray for those in authority over you. It says, obey your leaders, respect them, honor them. Because why? Because in Romans 13, it says, God puts over us whom he will. And we need to take the positive high road, not the negative low road. All right, And that, that's what bothered me a little bit with, with his email there. It's like, Dutch, you're taking the low road there. Don't take the low road. Take the high road. Say, hey, God, God has put this man over us. Let's pray for him. Let's, let's pray that God would give him wisdom. Let's pray that God would save him if he, if he doesn't know the Lord. Let's, let, and let's pray that Christians would have the proper attitude towards our, our government and things like that. Instead of taking the low road saying, Okay, well, God lost the election. Now we're in for it. I mean, that, that to me is, is not the best way to handle it. We'll be on this all day if we don't leave it. <laughs> well, I was going to say you said it already. And true, mature believers, we have to have the consequences that we live in the consequences of sin. Right. And therefore, work within it, not becoming a part of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And when we're 
lively um, behavior and speech about that. But where, but to follow Christ's example of supporting the authority, mm-hmm. praying for the authority, the ones that are in authority, that they that somehow God in His permissions that sovereign will will continue to work on His plan. Yeah, and He will. I swore. Yeah, I was. A, I was a Fox News junkie. And uh, a few months ago, I went cold turkey, and I haven't missed it. All right? Um, you get depressed watching that stuff 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, who needs it, you know? Read your Bible instead, you know? Um, focus on the positive thing. Look, folks, God, this whole series here, God is sovereignly in charge of all things. And we, we can take refuge in that. We can take comfort in that. And no matter what happens, no matter what leader rises up or goes down or whatever, God has a sovereign plan and purpose. His kingdom is going to go forward. Nothing's going to get derailed in that. No, it is not. And, and like Dave says, yeah, Dave said, I'm to be a good, a good citizen. I'm to vote my conscience. I'm to, you know, when, when I have a, a, you know, an opportunity, I'm to speak up. But I can't, the problem with, with us is sometimes as a, as a Christianity is we think that our job is to clean up this world. We're not going to win. You're not going to win on that one, are you? Because what does the Bible say? Things are going to get worse and worse. So we're not going to clean up the world for Jesus. What are we to do? Clean up ourselves and be a testimony and witness so that we can reach other people with the good news, right? That's, that's the focus. Let God worry about the details. And I think if we hang our hat on Scripture, I intermingle with businessmen all day long. And I want to have a scripture to tell them if, if, if there's an opening. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't care. I say all this general stuff that I think is right. And there's a scripture in Romans 12, 21 that says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah. It's, it's the bottom line. It's, it's, it's God's word. This whole conversation we had, I can hang it on that. I yeah. try to do right. Or the one in Galatians where it says, Be not weary of doing good. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is that we need to focus on what God has called us to focus on. That's, that's correct. And, and let God worry about all the details of what's going on out there. We don't need to stay up with, you know, getting ulcers over elections and all that kind of stuff. We, we don't, because God's sovereign plan is going to go forward. Nothing's going to get derailed in that. But if we have a chance to share one of these scriptures, share it. I, I, I mean, if yeah. we do in our lives, the power is in the Word of God. The power is in the Word. The power is not in your opinion. The power is in the Word of God. All right? And I think if Christians spent more time on their knees in prayer and, and working on their own sanctification instead of trying to solve all the society's ills through legislation and, and all the activism and all that, we'd probably be better off. We'd probably be better off in the, in the long run. Sure. And if we, if we have that opportunity, let's do it. Let's do that. All right. But let's not think that somehow we're going to clean up this place ultimately because we're not going to do that. Now, I want to have a nice place while I can, right? But ultimately, it's a losing battle, right? In, in this world because the world is headed downwards. We know that. Well, we'll be on this all day if we don't get going. We'll never get through the rest of the class. Um, one of the... Other things are being said out there. I like it too. At least what what's going on out there is um, they say we need to have power encounters 
Let's say we need to have these, these uh, spectacular power encounters. Uh, Mark Bubeck is a writer for, he's written several books, and um, I don't know if anybody's read him, um, but he has some books out there on spiritual warfare. And he says this, he said, I often find myself crying out to God for revival during extended sessions of prayer. In the midst of one such prayer session, an unusual strong spiritual awareness suddenly overwhelmed me. I don't know how else to describe it, although I did not hear a voice, there was a powerful communication in my spirit. Before revival like the one for which you are praying can come, there has to be a strong encounter with Satan. There has to be some massive power encounter with Satan. Some spectacular confrontation with Satan. And so what people think out there, and what some of the noise in this whole spiritual warfare is, is that we have to have these power encounters, sort of like when, when Christ faced the maniac at gatherings, all right, or something like that. Um, this is this guy's feeling. There's no spiritual, or there's no biblical support for this. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we have to have a power encounter. In fact, here, and this is what we're going to talk about when we talk about spiritual warfare. All of the references that directly speak of our encounter with Satan tell us to do what? Resist, flee, stand fast. Nowhere does it say attack, go after, you know, none of that. We are to resist the devil. Um, better yet, in James it says we are to submit to God and then resist the devil. You've got to do the first part before you do the second part. But this idea of power encounters where we have these spectacular power encounters, there's nothing in the Bible that speaks to that. There's, there's nothing there. Um, we're told that we need to take the offensive against Satan. This is a big thing. This is the whole spiritual warfare boot camp concept where somehow we've got to go out and we've got to find where the demon's at and go after him. Um, we need to seek out and engage the enemy face to face. This is Christ delivered men from the power of Satan so we should deliver men from demonic oppression. Now, can we know when someone's demonically oppressed or not? For sure. No, we can't. Can people be demonically oppressed? Sure they can. But we don't know necessarily when they are and when they aren't. Now, what did Christ have up on us that we don't have? He's God, right? So He knows. I don't know. I don't know if someone's demonically oppressed. I've run into a couple people in my life that I thought, you know, had a demon hanging around them, but I don't know. I don't see, you know, the cloud over them. I don't see the demon. I don't see the horns or the brimstone or anything. I don't know what, what's going on. So the idea that somehow we're to go take offensive, here's the point. Nowhere in the Scripture does it ever tell us, personally, to take an offensive against Satan. What does it tell us to do? Resist the devil. Stand firm. Submit ourselves to God. Who takes the offensive against Satan in spiritual warfare? God does. I need to submit myself to God and I need to do what God has called me to do, which is to be a testimony, to be a witness, to be sanctified. I need to work on my sanctification. I need to submit myself to God. I need to put on the spiritual armor and then let God worry about what Satan is up to and what he is not up to. Paul understood that Satan hindered him, but Paul never spent his time trying to figure out what Satan was up to. Right? Were there times when Paul had a confrontation with Satan? Well, sure, right? But, he, but there, most of the time, Paul did not know what Satan was up to. Paul did not know what the plan was. We, we don't know those things. So the idea that somehow we have to go out and take... How do you take offensive against an enemy that you don't know... If that's really the enemy, right? If you don't know that's really what you should be fighting, you can't take offensive against it. 
We're also told that uh, Tom White, who wrote The Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare, says homes that we move into may be infested with demons because of some occult activity years and years before. You could move into a haunted house. All right, you see that waste of film called Ghost, what is it, Ghost Hunters? There's a sci-fi, Ghost, it's not Ghostbusters, Ghost Hunters. No, it's Ghost Hunters. It's on, oh, good, none of you know that, so don't worry about it. But they got a, they got a show on sci-fi channel called Ghost Hunters, where they go and try to find these ghosts and all this kind of stuff. And there are people that actually believe their homes are infested by demons. Because somebody, many years before, did some occult activity there or something, and there's a demon that got into the house, and they're there. And so what we need to do as believers, notice what it says, the sensitive believer. So if you don't know that's going on, you're not sensitive. You need to be a sensitive believer. You can know that there's a demon in your house. Now let's ask a question. Do demons show up at your house now and then? Probably, but do you know that they're there necessarily? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when your kids act up, you know, that kind of thing, yeah. There's no... Yeah. Here's the thing. There is... There is, there is zero evidence in the Bible, zero evidence that demons inhabit houses and haunt houses. There's no evidence. It's, it's not there. It's wackery. It's wackery. Scripture. 
And it took a few minutes worth of reciting various scripture out loud that would be uh, applicable to the situation. And I began to feel a slight, slow, steady lessening of the forces. And I began to walk out of that room. And as I was walking out of the room, I tell you the truth, a whoosh went past me. And when that went past me, and it literally, I felt it. And there was no window open where a breeze could have been blowing. It was just a. And so, when I left uh, the home and was able to call her, I told her that it was gone. I felt peace by the time I had departed the building, the, the, the apartment. And a few days later, she moved back in and she concurred that. It was peaceful, fine. So I know, unless any individual has not experienced such a thing, it's easy to say it's silliness. Mm -hmm. And a lot of some things that have been discussed today is just that, silliness. But real is real. And there is, therefore, I mean, the demon of the gathering. I mean, we know there is, therefore, mm -hmm. demonic oppression where it exists, and I know that I've experienced that. Okay. Well, in her case, no doubt that there, there, there's probably no doubt that there was a demonic presence there. But where did the demonic presence come from? Well, well where, did it, where did it originally come from? There was a relationship with someone who was into that kind of thing. That's a, that's, so it's, a, it's a little different situation what we're talking about here. There's a, it's a difference. Okay, We're not saying that demons can't be in homes. We're not saying that. If they are there, why are they there? Because somebody brought them there because of maybe some occultic practice. But to say, I move into a house... And a hundred years ago, somebody did something there and the demon's still hanging around. That's what we're talking about here. Your situation is a little bit different. Because your daughter, was it your daughter? Daughter-in-law. Your daughter-in-law. She was in a relationship with someone who was into occultic practices. All right? And in that case, you give Satan a foothold. All right? And you can have that oppression. You can have that presence. And the way to get rid of it is through prayer. That's what got rid of it. It was, it was the prayer. It wasn't because you, we do some incantation or something. It's because of the prayer and the power of the Spirit that gives victory. Right. That's the issue. Yeah. Right. And that, that's, that's a very important topic, you know. Pray the scripture. And, and what gave victory in your case was you prayed the scripture. It was the power of God. It wasn't the anointed cloth, you know. Because what happens today, see, and see, here's the problem. Today, you can go on to some ministries and they give you anointed prayer cloths that have some magical power. You know, that goes back to almost like voodoo, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. That's not where we're to head. We need to strike a balance in here. Can demons oppress? Sure they can. 
In this case, was there probably a demon there? Most likely there was. But how did it get there? It got there because someone was into practicing demonic things, demonism, whatever. And that's where it came from. All right, And that's why it was there. It wasn't there because a hundred years ago it got there. You see what I'm trying to get at? Am I, just, do you understand the balance here? Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 Ephesus, he was in Ephesus at that point. What was Ephesus known for? Demonic worship. I mean, they worshipped. I mean, it was demonic religion that they were practicing there. And God did give power over the spirits there because of that. We've got to understand, there are spirits out there. I don't, want, don't go out here and say, well, Schaefer said there's no spirits and it's all wackery. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there aren't any of those things. I'm saying that many times, if there are, we don't know. Are there times when we do know? Yes, there are. And usually it's because we've opened ourselves up to that. We've allowed them into our lives because of our practices. You know, then that's why you need to stay away from things like Ouija boards. I mean, there have been a lot of people that, you know, they go to the Ouija board and they're, they're doing their little thing and thinking they're having fun. And you're opening yourself up to demonic presence. You know, and they're going to take advantage of you because they, you know, when you open yourself up to that. And that's why you need to be people of the Word, in the Word, in prayer, you know, praying the Word of God. How did, say, how did Christ defeat Satan? It is written. Three times. It is written. And one of the things that they did in Ephesus when they came to know the Lord is what did they burn? Their books, and their, their, books their, their stuff, you know. Right. Right. Now, I don't know how to evaluate that. Could be anything. And again, understand, I'm not saying that there aren't ever any things like this going on. But when they are going on, usually it's because people have opened themselves up to it. All right? 
It doesn't, it's not that Satan has assigned demons to every home and every house and every room and things like that. You can't go that far. All right? And again, the way, it, the way to overcome this, if you suspect anything, is do what? Pray and ask God to help you overcome the evil one. Um, Well, there's a demon there for sure. Well, let's, uh, let's try to get through the next three or four slides here if we can. Um, we've already talked somewhat about this. Um, uh, Thomas B. White also says we may be the victims of generational curses. Uh, you know, our great-great-great-grandmother did something and we, we, we sort of inherit a demon. All right? Sort of along with that. Um, again, there's, there's, there's no evidence for this. We're held responsible for ourselves. Now, if we open ourselves up to it, what happens? If we open ourselves up to demonic forces by dabbling in those things, sure, all right. But the, but to say that you know my 25th great grandfather was a witch doctor and because that I still have something with me, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. Um, this is a big one. Christians can be forced to sin by demons. Um, this is this is really popular, especially in some circles where you have a like Jimmy Swagger who had his his fall and. Of course, the real problem with that was not him, it was a demon. He had a demon in him. And Oral Roberts had to actually cast the demon out over the phone. And when Jimmy Swagger was freed from the demon, he was okay. It was really a demon that caused him to do that. Folks, demons, Satan, do not make you sin. They don't force you to sin. Now, what can you do? For example, the Antichrist, what does he apparently do? He opens himself up to what? To Satan, right? Satan energizes him. He opens himself up to it. He allows that to become, he allows Satan mastery over him to some extent. But here's the thing: throughout Scripture, you are responsible for your actions and your sin, not some demon. You are responsible for that. Okay. So don't blame the demon. Absolutely. And how did Oral Roberts see the demon that he said, I saw a demon with claws in you like a like a. Yeah, right. OK, um, th- th- there's there's no evidence of that. No, as a believer, you can't be demon possessed. You can be oppressed, but not possessed. Satan is not. Is there anywhere in the Bible that says when you sin that it's not your fault? No, it's always your fault. You you either actively commit the sin or you open yourselves up, open yourself up to doing something. But it's always you are the responsible party. Satan is not responsible for it. You are responsible. Um, they say specific sins are energized by demons. This is a very popular concept. Um, there's a deliverance ministry out there, and uh, what they do is they they will deliver you from the power of whatever demon it is that's bothering you. 
And this is what they say. Who needs deliverance? Anyone in the lineage of Adam has inherited the iniquity or ungodly desire of his father. Exodus 25-6. through 6. What's Exodus 25-6 through 6 say? The sins of the fathers are visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. All right. What does that exegetically mean? Does that mean I'm responsible for the sin of my great-grandfather? No, it doesn't. Let me tell you what it means. It means that if my great-grandparents all right, have no interest in God and they pass it on to their kids, how long does it take to overcome that? A long time, right? It comes, it, that's what it's saying there, right? The evil influences live on. It's, it's influence. It's not that I'm responsible for my great-great-grandfather's sin. It means that if my great-great-grandfather has no interest in spiritual things, he's going to pass that on to his children. He's going to pass that on. It's going to take a while to overcome that. That's what it's saying. Yeah. I'm going to go the other route. That, and this is a, it's a general truism. It's not, it's not saying that I'm responsible for my great-great-grandparents' sin. All right? But if my great-great-grandparent is, you know, anti-God and, and hates God, that influence is going to filter in. Um, so that's not what it's saying there. It says, uh, without deliverance by truth, this person is in bondage, unreality, deception, negativity, foolishness, sickness, and evil, and doesn't even know it. So if, unless you recognize that you're in bondage, you don't know you're in bondage. So you need to have somebody tell you and help you out of your bondage. In deliverance, we're released from the spirits and desires that twist our heart and deceive our mind. So what is a spirit? Well, anger is a spirit. If you, got, if you get angry, that's an evil spirit. Um, if you're irrational, it's that irritability. You're have an evil spirit. Self-pity is evil spirit. Hatred, jealousy, illness, worry, deception, arrogance, fear, rebellion, resentment, phobia, shyness, conceit, confusion, smugness, sadness, accusation, addiction, pride, cruelty, legalism, homosexuality, religiosity, complaining, lying are all names of spirits. So any, any negative thing, you, they were saying, look in the dictionary, anything negative, any negative trait, that's a, that's a demon that's doing that. And so for you, you know, if you are a person who likes to gossip, you need to be delivered from the demon of gossip. And then, you, then you'll be okay. Um, every word in the dictionary describes any kind of evil, wicked intent or sin against God as the name of a demon or evil spirit. If at any time in your life you have ever expressed any such spirit or desire, then you still have it hidden inside unless you've been delivered from it. So what they will do is they will come and exercise all the negative demons out of you. And hopefully after that you will be a perfect person and you won't sin. There's nothing like this in the Bible. There's, now, can Satan... Call, Satan exacerbates certain evil tendencies. Well, sure he does. But he doesn't... For, there's no demon out there called the demon of homosexuality that's behind every homosexual act. There's no demon of lust behind every lustful act. That's just not there. But, you know, unbelievers are... Unbelievers are under the power of their master, of their father. Which is sin. They're under sin, and that's, that's exacerbated by Satan. So can Satan exacerbate these things? Well, sure he can. But because you have a sin, because you have some kind of shortcoming, that is not a demon. And what they're saying is all Christians need to go and be delivered from all these negative demons because then only then can you be, live a victorious Christian life. But don't you think that even Christians, if, you know, by making poor choices, which is their free will, opens them up to a demonic? Say if you have a young teenager that gets involved in drugs and when they're under the influence of drugs, 
Yeah, but 99% of that is their flesh. 99% of that is, is you. You can't open yourself up to demonic oppression by falling into sin. God gave them over, right, to their evil desires, their evil lust, to their, their, their lust. But the, the point here is we can't blame Satan for everything. We can't blame demons for every, every time. You know, if I get mad at some lady pulling out in front of me, it's not because I have a demon next to me. You know, the demon of irritation for female drivers. You know, and that's, that's on me. And I've got to be delivered from that demon. You know, that, that's, that's the silliness that comes out of this. It's me. I'm responsible for it. You know, um, here's the other thing. Believers have, I wish I had time to develop this. I will a little bit. But believers have the power to bind Satan and pray hedges of protection. Um, and where do they get this? They get this out of Job, right? Where Satan says, you place a hedge around Job. Well, let me ask a question. Did Job know that the hedge was there? Who placed the hedge around Job? God did. Do you understand? And I was thinking about it at breakfast today. you understand that God's placed hedges around all of us? And he says, tell Satan, you can go no farther than that. But that hedge is not there because I've prayed the hedge there. That hedge there is because God knows that there's a limit to my ability, my tolerance. And he says, Satan, you can't do this to him. You can go this far, but no farther. The hedge comes from God, not from me praying up a shield. Yeah, God makes a hedge. God... Remember, what it says in Corinthians, God will not allow you to be tested above that which you are able to bear. God knows your limits and God tells Satan, you can't go any farther than that. The hedge is there from God's perspective, not because I prayed it up. All right? And the idea of binding Satan, they say, well, you know, that's what Christ says in Matthew 12, bind the devil. Well, let's ask a question. What is Christ talking about there? If you understand the context of the passage, what is happening is that the Pharisees are telling Christ, you're casting out Satan by Beelzebub, the prince of Satan. You're the prince of demons. And Christ says, well, that's irrational because number one, Satan would not cast out Satan. I'm not going to fight against myself. That doesn't make any sense. But, let me ask you a question. If, if I'm going to rob a guy's house and he's bigger than me, what do I have to do before I can rob his house? He's either going to be home, but assuming he's home, what do I have to do? I have to tie him up. All right? If I tie him up, then I can spoil his house, right? But if I can tie him out, what does that say about him and me? I'm stronger than him. Christ is telling the Pharisees, listen, let me tell you how I have power over demons. I'm stronger than them. I'm binding them. It's not that I bind Satan. We can't bind the devil. We can't bind demons. We can't you know, pray these shields and hexes. And, you know, that all goes back to like witchcraft and voodoo and magic. That, there's nothing to do that. Now, can we pray that God would, would, would defeat Satan, that God would deliver us from the evil one? Absolutely. We should pray that. But to say, I, you know, I, I bind Satan in this meeting and I don't want him to... Where, where does that come from? There's, there's no evidence for that. And the whole binding in the Bible, there are two times where... There's one time in the Bible where Satan is bound. And when is that? The end. And who binds him? Michael binds him and casts him into the bottomless pit. That's when Satan is bound. Satan is free. He's got a very long leash. He's got a very long rope. He's got limits. God won't let him go only so far. But there's nothing I'm going to say that say, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus to do whatever. There's no evidence for that. So explain, but you don't have time, so next time 
whatsoever is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Well, yeah, that's talking about um, church discipline and sin. We'll talk about that. Okay. We don't have time, but if you remind me next time, if everybody reminds me next time, we'll talk about that. All right. Um, this is the final thing here. We're encouraged to learn prayers of deliverance. They got books out with all these different prayers in there that you can pray. And basically, it's a fill in the blanks. You know, so you find a prayer that sort of goes along with whatever it is that you need, and then you fill in the blanks. And uh, there's an example here um, by Mark Bubeck who writes this. Um, folks, you don't, do you need a canned prayer? What does that sound like? That sounds like witchcraft, doesn't it? Magic, you know, get a magic book and pray this incantation. You don't need to pray, folks, you don't need to pray an incantation. That's what Christ said in, in Matthew 6. You, you, he says you have vain repetitions. What are those? Those are the magical incantations of the Pharisees who figured if I just get up in the morning, I pray the Shema, I got a shield. If I do this or that or the other thing, I got this shield. Christ says don't do that. What do you do? You talk to me. You don't need to pray a prayer shield. You need to talk to God. That's what it is. It's not any magical thing behind it. If I don't get the words right in this sort of little prayer here, I'm, not, I'm going to lose. No, that, that's silliness. Pray. And God will give you victory. We're out of time, folks. I'm sorry. But um, don't let me forget. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for this time for teaching us. And I just pray that you would help us to ponder what we've learned and... Um, Again, Father, we are thankful that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We don't need to be frightened or worried. And I pray that You grant us wisdom to know how to fight Satan when, when we are faced with um, those situations. And we thank You for this time in Christ's name. Amen.